You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I will be your primary host man, Abraham. And I will be your other host person, Shane. That was better. Host person is better. (laughs) It's fine. I was on the fly trying to think of a new title for myself, and I should have gone with host person, but... (laughs) This is our podcast, so we can do whatever we want with it. It's fine. It's a good point. All right. So we are talking about when someone dominates you with their hand Mm -hmm. or the championship of thumb wars. It took a lot of digging because a lot of the thumb war like underground was really apprehensive to interview with us or give us information. So it's like a whole secret society. Yeah. There's a whole secret thumb war society that has been a real struggle to contact. You know, you have to know exactly the right pattern of thumb up and thumb down handshake yeah. to get in is it one two three four i declare thumb war when do you start like that's the problem i have not investigated the official rule book it's possible that it's not made available to regular civilians members only it's handwritten on napkins and passed around in social circles it's not a written language it's only a verbal language it's a <laughs> it's a it's a vocal language and we're stuck with that oral histories only <laughs> actually we're talking about hand handedness or hand dominance and when people are right or left hand dominant and there are several sayings that come along with this there is are you on the right side of history there's also seated at the right hand of the father would you be my right hand person or right on red is chill but you don't make left right accurate i also don't know if one is ever on the left side of history but yeah i've yet to meet somebody who is on the left side of history <laughs> They're out there, Shane. You just <laughs> got to like. So as I said, discussing hand dominance and talking about it and how it's related to our overall psychology and how it might change the things that we do. Are you right or left hand dominant, Shane? I am right hand and right foot dominant. Then you are just like the rest of us. Nah. I am also right and left hand or right and le- right hand and right foot. I can say it. Dominant. <laughs> And I have interesting story. We'll get into this as we start talking about more of the nuances of this is that I have specifically taught myself to do certain things with my left hand. I remember you telling me that. Yeah, it's probable that I've even shared it on this podcast since I apparently have shared almost everything about myself. (laughs) We are we are at 175 episodes. So I think that it, it has come up at some point. That's right. At this point, everybody who has been listening this whole time views us as close friends. And we view you also as close friends. Yeah, we are we are a part of a community together, and it's wonderful. So, ready to get more into the history and the overview of this, Dr. Shane? Yeah, let's talk about it, Dr. Abraham. All right, so 90% of people are right-handed, as I said, and only about 10% would identify as being left-hand dominant. And that has been pretty stable throughout most of human history to the best of our records which of course are not exhaustive, but they are what they are. Yeah. So in 2019, there was a sample size that was pulled of about 2.3 million people. And scientists in that sample estimated approximately 708 million left-handers in the world overall, which ends up being about 9.2% of the global population. So that's, that's our best estimate given the sample that scientists have looked at. You'd think with that many people... You would no longer be estimating, but exactly calculating, especially if you land at 708 as your, I mean, 708 million, but I don't know. Anyway, 9.2%, our percentages are going down, which means we are accidentally breeding out the (laughs) left-handedness. Just kidding. It's not how it works. It's a whole thing. In case you were wondering, 
men are more likely to be left-handed than women. I think maybe genetically speaking. And we don't understand exactly why that is the case, but there are some hypotheses that are related to either hormones or societal factors. It's not really clear, just some people speculating on what are some things that we know definitely exist that separate how we define men and women, and can we overlay that on other things that we know that separate men and women, such as their hormones and how society treats them. Yeah, so there are a lot of factors that just we don't have enough information on. But one thing, though, that we do have to note is that experts remain unsure of how it emerges in a developing child. So what you find is that it emerges pretty early, but the developing child, we don't really know how or why or or we don't have any information on that. What we do have information on, though, is that hand dominance is linked to a stronger motor cortex on the opposite hemisphere of the brain. So what you find is that there is that link and they are studying that in particular. All right. So as we mentioned, talking about what are the relevant factors here, and we've people always want to know, is it nature? Is it nurture? <laughs> Wrong question. How dare we try to draw those lines? It's always nature and nurture. Anyway, when we do look at the specific biological effects, is there genetic influence? There's really not a clear picture, but there is some correlational theories that exist with genes that establish body asymmetry during development or genetic regions where proteins contribute to a unique brain development, much like they do for people who are into soap operas. <laughs> I was not expecting that one. I wasn't sure where I was going with that. Ah, soap operas. <laughs> What's really interesting about the genetic influence, though, is that there's not a link between dominance and the parent's hand dominance. So uh, as a perfect example, my son is left-handed and I'm right-handed. So there's nobody um, anywhere on my side of the family that has any left-handedness except for Lefty Grove, who is a baseball hall of famer, but he's like a distant, distant cousin that would have probably very little impact on the genetics of today. Are you sure he's your son? Just kidding. <laughs> he doesn't look anything <laughs> like me. <laughs> Just kidding. Soft spot. It's the me, myself, and Irene. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> All right. As far as with respect to understanding handedness or hand dominance with respect to the factors that we find in the environmental context, society, or as you might call it, nurture, there is a correlation between year and location of birth, which is to say there are different cultural attitudes toward people with left or right hands, uh, which will be important as we move on. And particularly older generations or cultures have specifically vilified left-handed dominance and in those instances, the culture is very important in determining how prevalent that would become. Right. So you have all these factors like I never you would never think. I mean, from a logical standpoint, it makes sense that location would influence it based on culture. But like, that's not something that when in, in the circles talking about handedness, I can't think of I, I wouldn't have thought of that until we started kind of digging into this. So yeah. it's interesting to see how that influences. A quick debunk about handedness. Nobody is exclusively dominant. So what we kind of find is that people can complete some activities with either hand and can maybe perform one task more efficiently with the other hand that's not their dominant hand. So there's not really anybody who is just flat out like, I'm right-handed and that's it. Probably most people are better, and at least in, in the United States, at using the blinker with their left hand than their right hand. Their turn signals? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's... Yeah, that makes sense. Really hard to reach at the right hand. <laughs> and I was going to say, I was thinking typing too, just from just from typing. Like I use both hands, I feel pretty frequently. So 
even though I'm pretty strongly right hand dominant, I've actually always been just a little bit stronger with my left arm in terms of being able to like lift and carry things. Hmm. Yeah, that's weird. That's interesting. I can't use my left foot for anything though. I just hop around on the on the right. Yeah, you don't even walk anymore. No, it, my left foot is so pathetic. I just can't do anything with it. It's atrophied to such a level that it's just it's it's not useful. Yeah. No, but to the go back to the point that I was making earlier, I I think as I've mentioned before on the podcast several years ago, I taught myself to brush my teeth with my left hand. And now I only use my left hand for brushing my teeth. Yeah. And it was intentional. I wanted to practice getting good at something with my left hand that I have to do every day. And I also used to play drums for a long time. And the secret about that is you're not actually controlling your limbs differently. You're actually playing them together in a rhythm. So everything's coordinated. People talk about being ambidextrous and there are ambidextrous people out there who are neither hand dominant. But as far as drummers, most of them are usually one or the the other. And most of them, as we have seen, are right-hand dominant. Yeah, that makes sense. So your dental records indicate that your left-handed <laughs> brushing is effective. <laughs> so yeah, after I switch to my left hand, I have cavities all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But I can do it. I can do it efficiently. Yeah, I do it. It doesn't work, but I, I, I do it. No, I've, it, it's been fine. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. So the theory that we want to kind of talk about a little bit here is that given that each side of the brain controls the opposite side of the body, we have to kind of understand how all this is linked together. And we want to talk a little bit about kind of that left hemisphere, right hemisphere thing a little bit. So the first part that we want to kind of dig into is the idea that language is processed more in the left hemisphere, facial recognition more on the right. And so there is a little bit of something called side specialization, like brain lateralization, where some parts of the brain, some some areas of the brain tend to be more involved in different processes of the anatomy. And so the assumption was that left-handers would use more of that right hemisphere for language, but 70% of left-handers also process language more in the left hemisphere. So essentially, this is an area that there's more research needed. We don't have any conclusive definitive answers, just that it's not as clear cut as one would have thought. And I definitely, when I was an undergrad, I took a early psychology class. Actually, I wonder if this was in high school now, now that I think about it, but where the teacher was saying something like, it's possible that your handedness does influence the way that you think and sort of cognitively perform in the world. And I thought, that's interesting. I wonder why that would be. And I d- again, it doesn't seem like there's a real clear answer if that's even the case. In 30 years since high school, and we still have no answers. <laughs> 30 years since high school. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We were we are child prodigies. We'll just say that. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that's interesting is we get older, we become more what our note taker has lovely described as mixed handed. So as we age, we become a little bit more, we have a little bit more variability across motor tasks. You know, the difference between 25 years old versus 50 is that we tend to to practice more with that other non-dominant hand. And so, so the tasks that we can complete with fluency become a little bit more varied as we get older. So did you know how early we begin to show our right hand preference? How early do we show our preference? Within one week of conception. Just kidding. We don't have ar- we don't have arms or legs at that point. <laughs> We're barely a bunch of cells at that point. <laughs> yeah. Most studies show that by age three, children have demonstrated some exclusive preference for right-handedness. About twenty-five percent of children do show variation, suggesting that there is going to be further development that can occur after that age. But essentially, that starts being something that we can detect fairly early on. 
by three years of age. So maybe before that, there's an opportunity to mold them in a different direction, get them that ambidextrousness. Yeah. When we start talking about like some of the advantages of this, I do have a story talking about a friend who became left-handed. Cool. Being advantages, let's do it. Why do we want to be left-handed? Why does anybody want to be left-handed? That's the real question. So left-handed people have an advantage in different areas like sports. So specifically when going against a right-handed dominant individual, you can actually catch them off guard. So I played baseball for a long time and left-handed pitchers were pretty difficult to hit off of. And if you watch baseball and you watch the amount of pitchers that are left-handed versus right-handed, you'll find that there are quite a few left-handed pitchers in baseball because a few things. I mean, just seeing the approach from a left-handed perspective is odd. Seeing the curve of a curveball from a left-handed pitcher is really weird. Just the movement on a baseball when somebody is throwing left-handed becomes, it's kind of a novelty. You have to learn how to hit off of left-handed pitchers. And so a friend of mine growing up, he was right-handed dominant, but he played baseball and lived baseball. And just that's all he did. And he actually, his dad taught him to throw and pitch left-handed, even though he was right-handed dominant. So that he would have an advantage as a pitcher. Impressive. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Apparently some other sports that have an advantage with if you are left-hand dominant. Again, it seems like this is mostly in relation to playing against people who are not also left-hand dominant. But this includes fencing and water polo, one of the more popular sports. And essentially, (laughs) this again just comes back to whether or not your opponent can read and anticipate your moves which are going to look different because you're coming at them from a totally different angle. And so they have to, they may not be able to prepare to respond and react in these really fast dynamic contexts that take place in sports. Right. And it happens with feet too. So we talk about soccer and stuff like that. You'll see that players can show a preference for which foot they primarily kick with or perform a move with, but there is still kind of that advantage of being able to have that almost like a mirror image for what you're used to seeing. And having an approach to that type of event or that sporting moment. It's like when you're using Zoom or whatever your web conferencing software, if you if you you don't know, your automatic setting is to be on mirror image. And if you change it, then you will look in your own image how you look to everyone else and you will be horrified. You will it's yeah. <laughs> terrifying. It's it's awful. You, <laughs> you will be surprised and you will feel unhappy and Interestingly, this is totally unrelated to the topic of handedness, but when you look in a mirror image of yourself, most people prefer mirror images of themselves versus the not mirror image of themselves and will think that they look much worse in their not mirror image version of themselves. Hmm. Science. That's right. Which I think honestly has a lot more to do with the only access we have to seeing ourselves is in mirrors almost all the time. Yeah. Which I mean... Is a little bit strange to think about yeah. when you think about just the, the the human experience in general. So if you actually flip your conference, whatever your Zoom or online Skype, Google Hangouts, whatever it is, if you flip it to be not mirrored, you will actually get used to it fairly quickly. And then you'll probably start to prefer that image of yourself. Yeah. But it will, sh- it will show you a side of you that you're not used to. <laughs> yeah, you're not ready for it. Okay. Disadvantages <laughs> of, I guess, left hand dominance in this case. Being left-handed, a left-hand dominant, which effectively makes you a particular minority in many places, the 
Daily items like utensils, tools, office supplies are designed to be ergonomically friendly to right-handed folks. And so what ends up happening is the left-handed folks that use these tools either experience some kind of inconvenience or they have to learn how to use this tool right-handed. And all I can think of is the episode of The Simpsons where Ned right. Flanders opened the leftorium <laughs> just so that there were left-handed scissors and left-handed can openers. And it was the one of my favorite episodes, but just because there was no... They, they, the what was my the one they talked about the the left-handed notebook so they didn't smear the ink when they were writing oh yeah yeah i was actually just thinking i was like i wonder if we can squeeze that simpsons ref- reference in here when ned opens the leftorium because he's he's a southpaw oh by the way that's another thing that we should have said that one of the names for people who are left-hand dominant is southpaw yep you'll hear that every now and again so jake gyllenhaal <laughs> the movie yeah, I'm just I'm going to just throw random words out that are loosely associated with this because Gyllenhaal in itself sounds like a nonsense word. It does, but it's actually it's a glorious magical thing. It really is. It really is. So to kind of go back to the idea of these daily items, scissors, erasable pens, smearing things like binders and spiral notebooks, they hurt their hands. Notebook paper, even whiteout tape are all designed to be used right handed. And so you'll find that folks that are left-handed kind of come across these inconveniences. Although they seem minor, they are kind of lifestyle changes for folks with left-handed dominance. Yeah, you'll think that there's no way scissors could be left-handed or right-hand or left-handed, whatever they are, but they absolutely can. And if you ever get a chance as a right-hand dominant person to try left-handed scissors, you'll experience the difference. And that is what people who are left-handed experience all the time trying to use right-handed scissors in their left hand or use right-handed scissors in their non-dominant hand, and it is uncomfortable. Yeah. But don't worry which hand you use, because several other things work just fine with either hand, whichever one you're using. Toilets, unless (laughs) handedness predicts direction of bad aim, for those who stand. Yeah. Beds, or does handedness predict which side of the bed you and your significant other choose? Hmm. Queries my partner it seems to be completely random and follow no pattern whatsoever (laughs) that's awesome also showers because nobody either handedness can ever manage a shower knob other than the one they're used to in their (laughs) own shower that's true that's true we nobody knows how to use a shower outside of their own home so there, there you go silver lining So some other things that come up are the idea of sleep problems. So researchers found that 94% of left-handed sleepers had limb movements that can be an indicator of sleep disturbance compared to 69% of right-handed sleepers. But don't worry if you're left-handed and having trouble sleeping somewhere out there. Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, Prince Andrew, and Glenn Maxwell aren't sleeping either. And they they have their dominant (laughs) hand to keep busy, whichever it may be. Yeah, you know, if you don't have those troubles. So, Shane, did you know that the dominance of handedness is not unique to humans only? If I'm being honest and and not over the top with my hyperbole, I actually didn't know this. So this is this is new information for me. Okay, well, animals do show a preference as well. In 2019, a meta-analysis showed anywhere from 31 to 53% of dogs and 36 to 46% of cats seem to show preference for left paws. Hmm. They are trying to drive us crazy. I feel like you can't study cats. Like they're an anomaly. Like they yeah. just, they, they don't even believe that we are, they believe that we're here to serve them. Yeah. How dare they? Or just their oversized cat staff. Yeah. So it's interesting though, because the overwhelming right dominance of humans is unique to the species. So you don't see that kind of dominance across other species, but you do see in animals, turtles show flipperedness, 
crabs show clawedness, and octopi do have favorite arms. So I wonder what that would be, because it's not really... Would be like left fourth. <laughs> That's right. There's like a valence of how far left or right they want to go. Uh, they probably do it by clock. I, my 12 o'clock arm is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's fair. They're smart enough to do that. All right. So shall we dig into a bit more of looking at handedness from the perspective of what are the, the contextual features of the environment when we are performing a left or right hand dominant task? Well, of course, there are things like if you are limited in your movement. So, for example, if someone breaks or loses an arm or limb or you know something like that or are otherwise incapacitated, they'll usually learn to complete the necessary tasks that they need to as best as possible using an alternative way, which is usually going to be the limb that is still working properly. So you are sort of in a situation where the circumstances force you to have to use the other limb, and by doing that, as we discussed in our episode on how to learn and do anything, practice gets you better at doing it. Right. So you'll see there are stories and there's always kind of like folk tales about people learning these different skills. So like, for example, Mark Twain was allegedly right-handed, but forced himself to write with his left hand because of issues with rheumatism in his right hand. And Da Vinci was said to have drawn with his left hand, painted with his right hand, but exclusively moved to his left hand following an injury to his right, which we see happen sometimes. I injure my right hand, I broke my wrist or something like that, and I'm going to have to learn to write with my left hand at some point. So those are all within the scope of reality. And outside of the scope of reality, Jamie Lannister had his hand chopped off and he had to learn to sword fight with his left hand. There you go. He got pretty good at it. I am sure that somewhere in history that happened to at least one person. That's a very good point. You're probably right. The chances are too high. There are some other things that are sort of interesting that are not necessarily handedness, but have to do with our preference for right versus left more generally. And one of them was this European study on kissing. And I don't recall if we mentioned this one specifically in our kissing episode, although this did come up in the research quite a bit, but that people in this study tended to show a ratio of preferring right headed tilts when kissing as opposed to a left-handed tilt at a ratio of about two to one. So they were twice as likely to prefer leaning to the right when couples were kissing than they did turning to the left. And so you might, you might check this out and just see next time you go to kiss your partner or whoever, <laughs> hopefully someone who's <laughs> consenting, it should only be someone who's consenting that you see which, which direction you tilt and even try the other way and see if it's weird. Maybe it'll spice things up a bit. <laughs> Just throw people off. That's fine. Like when you go to kiss somebody, tilt to the left, see what happens. They're like, oh my God, what are you doing, you monster? I thought I knew who you were. You commie, get out of here. <laughs> Goodbye. So a French study found that the direction one tilted their head to kiss cheeks was sensitive to specific cities in which they live. So that goes to the idea of cultural selection and just having a, a group of people that conform and reinforce those particular behaviors that are considered cultural norms. Right. Yeah. It all has to do with what are the expectations that have either written or unwritten, probably mostly unwritten, but what tends to be the common practice in a given group of people. Now, there are also some experiments that have looked at whether or not there are sort of reinforcing, punishing, extinguishing, whatever outcomes that would shape this as well. So in a 2011 study at Western Michigan University, 
And this is about baseball things, so I'm going to say it wrong, so I'm going to let you take over, Shane. (laughs) They try to see a relationship of left-handed or right-handed hitting by switch hitters. And so switch hitters are players who can hit either left-handed or right-handed. They can switch and they can change based on the pitching approach. So if the pitcher's left-handed, they'll bat a certain way. If the pitcher's right-handed, they'll bat the other way. And so... What they tried to see was the relationship of left or right-handed hitting by switch hitters in regard to bases earned, runs batted in, and home runs. So did they get on base? Did they bat folks in? Did people score when they hit? And did they hit home runs? And so what they did was they retroactively examined the stats from people like Mickey Mantle, Pete Rose, and Eddie Murray, who all three are Hall of Fame or should be Hall of Fame batters. Like They are known for being great hitters in baseball. But what they found was there was no reliable pattern with respect to consequences for either hitting stance. So they didn't see that there was any sort of reinforcing properties for batting left-handed or right-handed. And what they kind of determined was, well, they didn't determine, but they suggested that the player's choice may have been insensitive to those consequences. They may not have been sensitive to those contingencies of, I got an RBI when I was hitting this way, or I hit home runs more when I'm right-handed versus left-handed. It's probably more superstition than anything. Given that it's baseball players, I would say yes, for sure. I loved Eddie Murray and Shrek. (laughs) Yeah, he moved on to voice acting. He was great. The leather special was good, too. And before anybody decides to write us in or leave us a bad review, I know that it was Eddie Murphy. Just kidding. Anyway. Kidding, folks. Kidding. (laughs) Just making a joke. One interesting thing that they did discover was that each player was found to bat left-handed more often, possibly due to the known advantages of hitting opposite a pitcher's dominant handedness, which is overwhelmingly, seemingly, right-handed in the major leagues and the general population. And so instead, it was suggested that this might sort of be rule-governed, which is to say that they sort of came up with a hypothesis, if you will, about how they were likely to perform about how to best approach a picture with either dominant hand and that was not necessarily a result of the actual outcome of the success or failure of their batting from past experience. Basically what what they're saying is that you know they set up a rule where if somebody's pitching right-handed you bat left-handed if somebody's pitching left-handed you bat right-handed. If you're batting against Randy Johnson who went by the nickname Big Unit and he was 6 foot 10, you just were scared for your life no matter how you batted. <laughs> that- Sounds like I'd be scared for my life no matter what I was doing around this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he killed a bird with a baseball accidentally one time. Ah, poor bird. Yeah, no feathers. It's crazy. The video is insane. While we're talking about sports, one thing that I, I wanted to mention also was because we had talked about some people switch and they do whatever they're most comfortable with for that particular activity. And I've actually known quite a few people who are right hand dominant, but they learned to skateboard or snowboard riding goofy, which is where they do their control with their left foot. Their left foot's in the back and the right foot is forward. And that that's just something that they often do. And similarly, I've known people who were left-hand dominant who then rode regular, where their right foot was in control in the back. And so it really just depends, you know, sort of how you practice what you got used to and how you used your feet. And also this would have been influenced by other famous, I guess, athletes in those sports where they would look and see people, they're like, oh, I want to be like Sean White, so I'm going to... Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually know if he rides regular or goofy, but let's just say he's, he rides goofy, and we'll say, I'm going to be like Sean White and ride goofy. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say that, because like you know, the, a normal stance would be like, just that's a considered a normal stance. It's goofy when you're... When you're switching when you are left-footed or like you're using the left, like the left-handedness component of that, right? Like, so it's goofy when it's not the norm. 
it's switched when you're doing it the opposite of what you normally do. So like there are there is some interesting language around that. I never would have thought of skateboarding for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the chameleon air crazy bone, uh, you know, riding goofy. <laughs> yeah, that's the song. That was my attempt at a Weird Al type joke. <laughs> Let's tackle a few, I guess, myths, if you will, or maybe misunderstandings or some false rules that people have come up with about handedness, particularly left handedness. And so let's take these in order. So the first myth that we would like to bust would be that left-handers are more introverted, intelligent, and creative. And the arguments are an oversimplified attribution of creativity to the right side of the brain that controls the left hand, like people like Paul McCartney, Da Vinci, these highly creative, highly intelligent people who are left-handed. And I, I'll say to add on to that too, sorry, my, uh, one of my bosses is left-hand dominant and he is one of the most creative people I've ever met. So <laughs> yeah. That's probably because he's left-handed. Just kidding. Yeah, it's it, it, that's that's what we attribute it to anymore. So to kind of myth bust this further, a 2013 study in New Zealand found no link between handedness and personality, and other studies have found no conclusive evidence for an IQ link. So Jack the Ripper and the Boston Strangler were both left-handed creatives of the sadistic variety, right? They were considered creative in their respective fields, I guess. There's also the idea that lefties are more likely to be leaders. So the argument essentially goes that five of the eight U.S. presidents, uh, the last eight U.S. presidents were left-handed, Obama, Clinton, George H.W. Bush, Reagan, and Ford were all left-handed. On the contrary, this list also includes Osama bin Laden and John Dillinger. So let's consider our definitions of leadership here. <laughs> yeah, probably not good exemplars, I guess, would be, would be what I would look at there. A third myth would be left-handed people die earlier and suffer more immune diseases. And so you could say that, but it's not really accurate. And on the contrary, there are other things that make you die earlier, like volunteering as a tribute to Hunger Games, <laughs> living your best Lord of the Flies life, replicating stunts you saw on Jackass, or if your name is Barb on Stranger Things. <laughs> Super pop culture. <laughs> so many references there. There's another one that left-handers are persecuted. And this one, there's actually some truth to this. Now, the cultural biases historically evidenced by right-handed man or two left feet indicate some preference for right-hand dominance. And there are some other things to discuss with this. But on the contrary to this, just think, taking the devil's advocate for the moment, at least in Western countries, this persecution is generally gone. Again, five of the last several presidents have been left-handed, so they wouldn't have gotten very far if we had tossed them off a cliff as toddlers. <laughs> you tossed the wrong one. <laughs> On the contrary, those who are really persecuted include anti-vaxxers, Rick Astley, Flat Earthers, and Kanye West. And we do not volunteer as any of their defense. Oh, I feel like Rick Astley isn't persecuted. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not defending any of them. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I have actually asked this before in some of the classes that I've taught, and I've I've consistently gotten at least a couple of people to say that they were told not to use the left hand when writing and stuff like that. And it has decreased over the years, but it seems like even though it's not really widespread, nobody even talks about left-handedness as being bad, generally speaking, in the United States. It lingers in these little pockets here and there. There is definitely a a religious history here with left being something that's wrong. The left-hand path? Yeah, the left-hand path, you know, not to use the Da Vinci Code as a source of actual factual information, but it does talk about the historical context for things being described as feminine on the left and as masculine on the right, and that there was a very clear connotation of left being bad and right being good. And that's found in a lot of other cultural examples. So 
I think that in modern times, this is much less common, not entirely gone and probably worse in other cultures, but it's still something to make sure that we're never persecuting or treating people differently who are left-handed aside from, you know, making jokes at them sometimes. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's like coming from our, from both of our right hand privilege, <laughs> we can't really speak to what that might look like, but you know, I'm sure that that experience is very different for somebody who is left-handed. So I personally won't speak to it because I can't imagine to what degree that might look. Uh, I couldn't even begin to kind of hazard a guess. The, I mean, the, like we mentioned the inconveniences of daily utensils and ergonomic designs for right-handed folks versus left-handed folks. But I mean, there could be a whole world of discrimination out there that we just really haven't even tapped into when it comes to left-handedness. Got to walk a mile in a left-dominant person's left-dominant shoes so you can, <laughs> you can feel what it's like. <laughs> My arches would be so uncomfortable. <laughs> Lefties have regular arches too, Shane. <laughs> How dare I? I, I assumed. I, I should know better. So I think the, you know, the overall context to, to really bring to this, and as we start to wrap this up, is that there tends to be most people, most humans, have very skewed toward right-hand dominance in most cultures and places in the world, and that we're oddly one of the few species who has that extreme of a differentiation there. And where this is relevant to consider is essentially ergonomically, I think, is, is really important, how the world is set up in such a way that things tend to be placed in easy, convenient, ergonomic shapes for right-handedness. And that that definitely is going to change how a person who is left-hand dominant navigates their world. And I don't know that there's a lot of evidence or reason even to suggest that they are otherwise psychologically different people just to say that they are going to experience the world in a way that is probably a little less convenient a lot of the time. Yeah. And so that, that's my main take one of my main take on points, I think. Yeah. And I think another one, too, is that when we start kind of talking about the idea of left handedness, there's still not really a lot of evidence of where it comes from or why it develops the way it does. And there's not really a lot of evidence to suggest that it's one side of the brain or the other when it comes to handedness in general. So I think there are probably more myths out there about left-handedness that have been debunked and there are facts about why left-handedness occurs. Yeah, probably. That's probably a big point that we would take from like just approaching it from that psychology standpoint is that there's not really sufficient evidence to say that left-handed folks are more creative, more intelligent, that they use half of their brain more. There's just really not that evidence out there the jury is still out on that i think yeah there's some hypotheses that suggest things like genetic variants cultural preference brain composition etc but none of that has been particularly definitive and it seems like it's just not that important of an issue to warrant making any statements other than just trying to understand if there are implications we haven't quite discovered yet but i think there's no reason to look for any reason to expect poorly of people who are left-hand dominant and I think one thing too, kind of going back to the point of the species, handedness and hand dominance doesn't really show the same levels that, that you see in humans. It's we don't. They, there's not that ninety ten ratio, right? Like you've got like anywhere between half of the organisms in the species probably demonstrate some left handedness or some kind of left hand dominance compared to what we see in humans. So it's an interesting phenomenon. It's something that like I don't know that I would have ever thought to dig into as a psychologist at all. Because I didn't would never thought that it would have such a like such, such unique implications. Yeah, up to fifty three percent of dogs show left pawedness preference, which is how you know that they are evil. <laughs> Just kidding. As opposed to cats. That's right. 
Cujo definitely was left paw dominant. <laughs> he also had rabies, untreated rabies. <laughs> Where do you think he got those rabies? Hmm. If he wasn't on the left-hand path, it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> totally kidding. We we love dogs and cats. We <laughs> we really do. And Cujo's a great film. So if you find yourself struggling with right-handed dominant items, there is an online store called leftiesleft-handed.com. The Leftorium doesn't exist as far as we know, so this is the closest thing that we could find. So if you find yourself struggling with that, there are some places that do offer some support and assistance. And you know what? I usually save this for the end, but if you have some suggestions that we can actually give out to people for how to make the world a more left-hand friendly place, we'd be happy to read those. You know, We'd like to hear if there are things we can do ergonomically or otherwise to set it up so that people who are left-hand dominant feel more comfortable navigating our offices and businesses and shopping places and bathrooms and whatnot. Yeah, I like it. Cool. Do you have anything else on left-handedness? Nope, not today, my friend. Cool. All right, well, then let's go ahead and move into some recommendations. Recommendations. What I'm going to recommend today is I really like the TV show Psych that was around. Uh huh. It's funny and it's awesome and it's really great. And after the show ended, they did a psych. They did like a Christmas special, I think. And then they did a psych movie. That's it's fairly short, but it's, you know, a feature length film. And then they just came out with Psych 2, the movie. Oh, yeah. And so this is after one of the main characters. His name is Lassiter. Yeah, he plays a character named um, Carlton Lassiter, who's this detective. So he had had a stroke a little while back and had been out of acting for a little while. But in this one, this one's called Lassie Comes Home, partially, I think, because (laughs) he wasn't able to participate very much in the first psych movie. And he's been recovering from his stroke and he was able to participate much more fully in this movie. And uh, he also has been cameoed a few times on the show. This is us. But he seems to be coming along really well. I'm, I'm really happy because it was really sad when when I, I heard that he had a stroke. I was really worried about him. But it seems like he's really improved and healed, convalesced nicely. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So anyway, Psych 2. It's available only, as far as I know, on the NBC's streaming service called Peacock. It is free. And they actually have a bunch of movies on there. And I hate, 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 hate that everybody is coming out with their own streaming services these days and you have to sign up for all of them individually. And it seems like this is worth it. So there's that. Yeah, I like it. All right. Very good. So my recommendation is a sprawling universe of craziness. And I mentioned this before, but given that Stephen King has decided to write the plot for 2020, we thought it would be appropriate (laughs) to recommend the Stephen King shared universe that leads to the dark tower. So, Oh, this is all Stephen King's fault. It's all, it always is. The guy is a, a maniac. So <laughs> I think I've mentioned this before because I've been reading The Dark Tower during, I think, when we started doing recommendations. So The Dark Tower is this great series. It's an eight-book series. There's some tie-in comic books and stuff, and it's all about this gunslinger who is a... It's so it's hard to explain in a single sentence, but Roland is a gunslinger that is des- descended from the bloodline of King Arthur, and he is chasing a wizard in a dystopian future to get to the dark tower which is the nexus of all existence because if the tower is destroyed all of existence will go into darkness collapse into darkness in this series 
there are robot bears and there are demons and there are possessed houses and there's time travel and there's all kinds of mutants. There's just everything that you could want. There's vampires, giant, crabs. there's all kinds of stuff. There are giant crabs. <laughs> there That's are right. giant crabs. It sounds crazy. It's a great read. It's a lot of fun, but what I'm recommending is not just this series. I'm recommending all the books that tie into the dark tower as well, because his entire universe that he writes in is shared with a dark tower. So you've got hearts Atlantic, you've got Salem's lot insomnia, the stand. They're all, it are all referenced in the dark tower books some way or another. And so it's really cool to kind of open up the book and read about the story and then discover that like, you know, Father Callahan from Salem's Lot is in the story to read about the stand in, in Topeka and how the entire city has just gone under the super flu that occurred in the stand. So it's it's just a lot of fun to kind of see all that tied together and those little Easter eggs throughout the books. But all roads lead to the Dark Tower, and it's definitely worth the journey. Yeah, you're essentially recommending Stephen King's collected works. All of it. Yes, I can get on board with that. I have I have not read a ton of Stephen King, but I have read the Dark Tower original books. And I've read a few other things, The Green Mile and The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, which I would not recommend to anyone. <laughs> and Under the Dome. Under the Dome was really good. I really liked that one. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I'm getting ready to read Insomnia. That's the one that's like a direct link to Dark Tower. So that's on my next read. Yeah. Stephen King, despite a lot of people, I think, call him a hack. And I honestly think it's just because he's gotten so much recognition and he's so prolific of a writer but I really like his books. Like I think he's a good writer. They're fun. It just, you just, you suspend, you have to suspend disbelief for a little bit. Just, just live in the universe and have fun with it and you're, and you'll be fine. Yeah. The fact that he can churn out as many like stories and that they're all like the, I don't know. I, I just feel like they, they all have these really cool ideas and plots and twists and setups. And it's, they're all so creative and just super outside the box thinking. Yeah. And so that's that's what I really like about it, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's my recommendation. Great. I love it. That's a great recommendation. Okay. So let's go ahead and wrap it up there unless you have anything else on any of that stuff, Shane. Nope. I think I'm good. All right. If you are left-handed and you would like to tell us about it, we would definitely like to hear your stories, especially if you can help us make the world a little kinder to left-handed people. If you're right-handed and you feel particularly strongly about left-handed people in a not-so-pleasant way, you can just keep that to yourself. If you have something <laughs> nice to say about Psych or Stephen King, we'd certainly like to hear it. If you'd like to tell us how we're doing, if you'd like to contact us just to tell us about uh, anything, I guess. <laughs> I, anything we threw into the bus or anything that we said that we liked or anything that is totally unrelated and maybe how you met us once in a past life. Those are all great things we like to hear. So please reach out to us on social media or at email. And if you enjoy our podcast, like and subscribe or whatever, however that system works, wherever it is that you listen to it. And I think that is all I have. So this is Abraham. And this is Shane. We'll see you next time. Or we'll see you on another time. On another time and another reality. <laughs> Bye now. Bye. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. 
Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.